Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Man, what a great morning it's been, hasn't it? Wonderful morning. Praise the Lord for that. Great crowd here today. Look around. Place is packed. Let me welcome those joining us online. You know, we usually have about a thousand each Sunday join us online, so hello to you. And while we're talking about numbers, how about all those baptisms? Isn't that awesome? You know, folks, and I know a lot of you were here, the last time we did baptism, that, that seemed like an anomaly. Where did that come from? And, and I think that was the end of September, maybe, and we baptized over 20 on that day. So in our last two baptisms, we've seen over 40 people uh, baptized. And I want to encourage you, challenge you. You go ahead. Yeah, let that go. Praise the Lord. I want to encourage you in this Thanksgiving season that when you get into bed tonight, this is what I'll be doing when I get into bed tonight. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing at our church, in our church, through our church, because uh, I, I hope we think that's pretty awesome. I, I hope we don't just ever think, oh, that's normal. Uh, that, that's awesome. So exciting, exciting times. Hey, we're, we're continuing today our series in Genesis, and I'll only say that one more time. <laughs> Not today, one more after today, but uh, we're continuing our series in Genesis, and Today brings us to our fourth message, so, and the next one as well will be the fifth message on the life of Joseph. Um, you know, when you stop and consider the breadth of time that Genesis is covering, all of the issues, people that are being dealt with in these 50 chapters, uh, when you stop and think that we spent five of some 26, 27 messages on one life, it's like, wow, we really camped out in one place for a, a long time. And boy, I think Joseph's life's worth it. This is a special life. I, I think the kind of life, you know, you, you watch it go by and you think, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand here and watch this for a little bit. I, I want to ask some questions. I, w- I want to learn from that life. I want to emulate that life. Joseph profoundly shows us what it looks like to hold on to God. And you know who benefits when you hold on to God? Can we just go ahead and say it's not God? God doesn't benefit. God doesn't get something when we hold on to him, but, but we sure do. We sure do. And uh, I think that as you look at Joseph's life, you'll find somebody that really enjoyed the presence of God. That's kind of where we're going this morning, what it means to enjoy the presence of God. And we might even say that God enjoyed the presence of Joseph. That seems to be a common theme in the story. Look, look up here on the screen at how often this is repeated. The Lord was with Joseph. His master saw that the Lord was with him. But the Lord, a third time now, was with Joseph. Number four, the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find a man like this in whom is the Spirit of God? Five times, now only in a few chapters, but let's keep in mind that from 39 to 41, we're talking about roughly 13 years of Joseph's life. 
And over and over, people are noticing, man, God is with this guy. God is with him. And let's remember, as that's being said, as that's what people are observing about his life, he is going through a long, difficult season of life. I mean the kind of season where you wonder if there is a God. The kind of season where you start to think, well, if there is a God, he's clearly not with me. That's what he's going through, and people keep saying over and over, God's with this guy. Now, let's remember who is displaying Joseph before us. It's not Moses. It's not Genesis. It's God. God has held out his life to you and me so that we could see this life. We we need to hear God saying, hey, this is a life I'm with. And when I think about that in Joseph, I think, okay, well, what can I do so that I'm like Joseph? I want to I wanna enjoy that like Joseph did. And as I walk through his story, I see at least five things. I'm not saying there couldn't be others. I see at least, at least five things I we want to observe about his life. Now, I'm calling this the, the, the life God is with, but that's a little bit, that's not a good title. Because, you see, the way we have a tendency to hear this is, okay, you do these five things, and then God will be with you like he was with Joseph. Hey, I got good news for you. You don't have to do anything for God to be with you. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if he is your Lord and Savior, God is with you. You can't do anything more or less this week to get more of God's presence. That's a fact. But now that fact, uh, you know what? Sometimes I enjoy that fact. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I'm really experiencing that fact. Sometimes I'm not. Okay, so what are these five things? These are five things I need to be aware of so I am enjoying and experience the truth that God is with me. And these are pretty simple. I mean, I'm going to use this word a lot, simple today. Five things that Joseph approaches with a real simplicity. I I don't think that means it's simple or easy to do this, but he approaches all five of these with a real simplicity, and hopefully we'll understand what that looks like and means here in just a moment. But five things. Number one, he believes God's word. He believes God's word. We today would say, I believe the Bible, right? Now, they, Joseph wasn't carrying around a Bible. There, there, there was no passage to turn to in Joseph's day. As a matter of fact, you today could turn to a passage like Hebrews chapter 1, and it says, long ago, now it's Hebrews saying this in the first century, long ago, God spoke in various ways and means, and one of those would be dreams. It's actually in the list of ways that God spoke. But now, through his son Jesus, okay? So when when it talks about dreams, that was a way that God was revealing and speaking to people. And so when it says there, he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers, that's not as different as you and me saying the Bible says. God spoke this to me in his word. Now, Joseph had done that before. Actually, 37 verse 9, that's the second time. And the first time that he communicated God's word, communicated that dream, uh, his brothers, well, they didn't think very highly of him for it. Let's just say that. 
They mocked him. They made fun of him. Hey, some of us know what that is. We know what it is to kind of be mocked and made fun of if you say, I I believe the Bible. And I imagine a lot of us know the temptation that, hey, there's places I really enjoy talking about the Bible, like, well, where we're sitting right now, right? Easy, fun, very quick to say, man, I love the Bible, I believe the Bible. But I bet almost all of us have a place in life where, eh, don't need to bring that up right now. You know, I don't want to offend anybody. You know, there's places we play that down. Well, he wasn't playing it down even when he knew what it cost. He said, hey, I believe the Bible. I don't want to reduce Joseph's life to a a, a bumper sticker, but I do think with him it's as simple as this. God said it, that settles it. God said it, I, I believe it. You see him live life with that kind of simplicity. Now, point number two, this is tricky. I make it a point number two. I think most of us would make it a point number two. I don't think God and his word make it a point number two. I don't think there should be any daylight between believing and obeying. They, to say one is to say the other. Why do I, why do I obey? Because I believe. I believe, therefore I obey. They go hand in hand, but come on, let's be honest. We all know what it is to say, hey, I, I believe the Bible, I believe this about God, and then you and I go out and live and act in certain ways that kind of deny what I just said that I believed. They're, they're supposed to go together, and with Joseph, they really did. Chapter 39, y'all will remember, we looked at that two weeks ago. It's the story of Potiphar's wife, and she has come and, we'll just say, presented herself to him as a gift. Uh, she had a husband, so there was a little bit of a situation there. And what does Joseph say? How can I do this? This great wickedness. How, how can I sin against God? It's just that simple. There's nothing really to discuss or think about. There's nothing even to pray about. God already said no. I already know what God thinks. I already know what God has said. Now remember, and I don't mean to be repetitive about the life he's going through, but let's be honest, folks. When things aren't working out, we start pouting. We think, hey, why can't I have fun? Why do I have to obey? What has obeying got me this far? I mean, those are, those are real questions that come into our lives. And here's Joseph, things not working out well, yet he still cares about what God says, still obeys what God says. So God said it, I believe it. God said it, I obey it. A third thing I see with Joseph's life is he lives in the sovereignty of God. That's a real fancy way of saying he lives like God's in control. You know, again, I bet we could take a poll in here right now, and I'd, I'd like to think, you know, we'd be north of 80, 90% of us believe that God is in absolute control. Do, do, do we act like it, though? That, that would be another question. So the, the verse that I've got there, you would not necessarily see God's sovereignty. It just simply is a question. Do not interpretations belong to God? But when you go to that passage and you, you see verses 1 to 8, you have the, the story of this. There's a person, they're having dreams, and hey, Joseph, I think Joseph's into dreams. I think Joseph's real good at interpreting these things. Hey, go ask Joseph. And so they come to Joseph, and the guy says, hey, don't, I heard you're good at this. I, I heard you can interpret this. And he says, no, 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 that belongs to God. God's in control. God's in control of the day. God's in control of the revelation. God's in control of tomorrow. You want answers? Go to God. You want direction? Go to God. You want to know the future? Go to God. Now, think of the person giving witness to this. 
It's a person that heard God say, I'm in control. It's a person that said, hey, here's what I'm going to do with your life. And then for the next 13 years, I would say life looked completely out of control. I would say the next 13 years kind of gave evidence, if there's a God, I'm not sure he's in control. Not by the things going on in my life. And what's the testimony he's giving? It all belongs to God. He is in control. He actually believed that, but even more importantly, he acted like it. What does it mean to act like it? It means every single day, every conversation, every place you need to respond, the good news, the bad news, the decisions, in all things, everything filters through the idea that God is in control. I would dare say if you did not think more times than you could count over the last seven days, God's in control, therefore I need to, then you're not living like it. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I think a person who's acting like that is constantly, hey, here's what I would do if there was no God. Here's what I would do if it's just me. But since God is in control, then, then here's what I need to do. That, that's what it means to act in light of that. Fourth thing. He is a person of integrity. Y'all remember this is also back with Potiphar's wife, chapter 39. And he, he had two reasons he did not take her up on her offer. One was, God said, no, that's end of that discussion. But the other one, he says, hey, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. You know, he's overwhelmed by somebody trust me. Somebody trust me. Now, I could have said he's a trustworthy person, but I put integrity. And and here's why. What's integrity? I'm the same in public as I am in private. I'm the same in a big situation where everybody sees and there's reward, and I'm the same in a situation where nobody sees and there's no reward. I'm the same wherever you go. That's the idea, the definition of integrity. Hey, there's no, nobody watching. Why, why can't I do this? No, somebody trusts me. I, I, to me, that, and I said that already, that, that was a point in, the, in that message back in chapter 39. But he's so overwhelmed in a positive way that somebody trusts him. You know, I bet it's a big thing to you when somebody trusts you, especially if it's a big important person like a boss or the coach. And, and you know, they give you the ball. They give you the, the assignment. And, whoo, man, somebody big is trusting in me. And everybody's going to see it. Hey, is it just as valuable to you that the team mom trusts you to bring a snack to the game? I mean, that's not. Come on, the world's not rotating on this, you know, whether I have nutter butters and juice at the game. Ah, but, but somebody trusts me. You see that in Joseph. You see it when nobody's looking. You see it when everybody is looking. But, you know, I think the reason he's kind of dialed in on being a person of integrity, it's not because there's a rule somewhere. Well, if you open your Bible to, it says there, if you're not a person of integrity, you're going straight to hell and God hates you. No. I think Joseph wants to be a person of integrity because God's a person of integrity. God's trustworthy. God's faithful. God does what he says he's going to do. God is a promise keeper. If, if God is my treasure, if Jesus is my treasure, if he's what I am beholding, and look, I mean, folks, we want to become like that which we stare at. 
That which you stare at, that's what, that which, which you're caught by, that's what you want to be like. He's showing, I'm caught by God. You know, God is my treasure, and this is what God is like, so this is what I want to be like. And then number five, lastly, at least in my five observations, he's a person who forgives. He's a person who forgives. Look at chapter 45 here. Again, just one verse, one through eight, is a little bit of the larger section. And it says, and now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold, sold me here. Don't, don't be upset with yourselves that you sold me into slavery. That's forgiveness. But it goes so far beyond forgiving. Look what he says next. For God sent me, because God's in control of everything, right? See how he just processed and understood a wrong done against him. I process that through at the end of the day, God's in control. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Hey, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to provide for you right after I teach you a little lesson. Right? I mean, I'm going to forgive you, but you need a little lesson. And it might sting a little, but that's for your good. Because if it stings a little, then you're more likely to remember it, Right? He forgives them with no lesson. He forgives them with no sting. He forgives them in a way they're not required to do anything. They just come and receive his forgiveness. It's an interesting story when you read that because the brothers show up uh, before Joseph and he is now, you know, I said this last week, he, he's probably in terms we would use today, he's the prime minister under a Pharaoh, but you remember Pharaoh is so in awe of Joseph, he just says whatever that guy says. So he is the acting most powerful person in the world. Not, not just Egypt, because Egypt is running the world at this time. And, and so he's the most powerful person in the world. And, and here come his brothers to him because of needs that they have back from, from Canaan. And it, it's the fulfilling of Genesis 37. But when they get there, they don't recognize him. And I think, how do you, how do you not know? I mean, it wasn't like he was four last time they saw him. It was a long time ago. Probably at this point, it's been 21, 22 years since they've seen Joseph. But he was 17 last time they saw him. I mean, we kind of got our adult features by the time we're 17, right? I'm pretty confident you could look at a picture of me at 17 and you'd say, man, that's Randy. He looks just, well, okay, there's a smidge difference in the hair. Just a smidge. But I, I really believe you'd recognize me. And, and this isn't like, hey, I spent a year with that person. Oh, that's a, this is his brother. How do they not recognize him? And the only thing I can think through trying to understand that is because there's no way to get there from here. What do I mean by that? Last time they saw him, he was heading into a life of slavery, of which life expectancy is not very great. He was going into a life of slavery. The person that they're looking at is the most powerful person in the world. There is no path. There's no book to go by. My journey from slavery to power. That, that doesn't exist. Not that, you, you can't cover this. I don't care if he looks just like my brother. There's no way. There's no way that's my brother. So can you imagine their shock and surprise when they realize, oh, that's my brother who I sold into sl- I think I sold into slavery the most powerful person in the world. Did you know that? That concerned them. That scared them just a little bit. Like, oh, he could get even. 
<laughs> this guy has all the power to settle the score however he wants. That's what they're thinking when Joseph said that. Y'all don't get worried about that. Don't be angry with yourselves about that. No, no, no. God, God he took all the responsibility off of them. It is their evil and their wrong. It is their sin. But he took all the responsibility of them. No, no, God. And God did it so that I could do good for you. Man, that's incredible, isn't it? How does he forgive like that? Well, it's the first four things. I believe God said to forgive. We know God said that, right? All through his scripture, he commands us to forgive. And I believe God is good. I believe that what he commands is for my good. He never says forgive them because they'll change. Forgive them because they've asked for forgiveness. Forgive them because they won't take advantage of it. No, that's never the reason God says to forgive. As a matter of fact, if you forgive, there's a good chance of being taken advantage of. And I'd say there's a good chance of them doing it again. How do I know that? Because I've gotten forgiveness and I've done it again. You've gotten forgiveness, and you've done it again. You have taken advantage of people who forgave you, showed you grace, gave you another chance. But I believe that this is for my good. So God said it. I believe it. God said it. I'm going to obey it. Nothing to discuss, nothing to debate. It's not about my feelings. It's not about them. God said it. I obey it. God's in total control of this anyway. Well, if God's in control, then that's what I'm resting in. I'm not defining this by that person. You know what I see in, in Joseph? All of his energy and focus is vertical. And I'm, I think I'm just now started into my next sermon. So I got to stop short here. But, but God, all of his focus is vertical. And that's what allows him to let go of all the energy that's horizontal. All this anger, all this bitterness, all this fear, all this jealousy, uh, all, all this coveting. He can let go of all that because he's entirely focused this way. And what Joseph shows us is exactly what that looks like when the, when the focus is totally vertical. I mean, I, I, he forgives because of the first four points. That's the bottom line. It's a special life, isn't it? An incredible life. And I think it is his simplicity. Now, let me define simplicity. I think if you take these five points that we've looked at today, I think, I'm not saying this of you as a person, an individual, but I do think in the American church, you can really see us make very complicated those five things. Oh, it's, it's hard to do that. And it, it's hard. Well, you know, it's hard. I mean, hey, listen, I believe the Bible, Right? But I mean, come on, six days of creation, talking snake in a tree, Tower of Babel. I mean, I mean, come on now, science has let us in on some things, right? So I believe, but I don't really, I mean, what, what are we supposed to believe in there? And that confusion lends over to obedience. I mean, I want to obey the Bible. I obey a lot of the Bible. I obey all the parts that really suit me well. I, I obey the parts that we know are still good for today. But don't we know that the Bible's really not up to date on everything? I mean, hadn't society just kind of grown past some of the... By the way, I would like you to point out to me the society that has grown so far past the Bible and its goodness. Point out the society that's just nailing it every day with everyone. Yeah, that, that doesn't exist, but we act like that. 
We act like we have today a greater understanding of justice, a greater understanding of goodness, and I I can go on down the list. So it's confusing. You know, what am I supposed to believe here? I mean, you know, there's these things. and God's in control? Well, if God's in control, why is there evil? He needs to step up here and answer that. And I'll decide if it's a satisfactory answer because, of course, I am the standard of goodness and justice. And, and, I, and I always nail it. You see, we just turn everything into a discussion and a bait and a what about and an if. Read the story. And I know through, through these sermons, through life group, you've been reading it. Go, go, go sit down and read it in one setting, 37 to 50. And what you see over and over is Joseph just... He just does it. No debate, no discussion, no what about, no what I deserve, what about my feelings and my thoughts. He just does it. And the result is a life you want. The result is a life that is strong, a life that has clarity. You don't, you don't see Joseph scratches, I just don't know what to do next. He always knows what to do next. In the worst horrible situations, he always knows what to do next. His faith is simple. He's not debating and confusing. Now, does that mean I can do that? Does that mean you can? I mean, pastor has said today, boy, Joseph's life's a special life. I mean, not everybody can do that, right? I mean, does God expect us to do that? Why would he not? As a matter of fact, we we just entered the holiday season, right? It's November. Some of you look shocked and in awe. (laughs) Ready or not, here it comes. So in, in honor of the beginning of the holiday season, let's go to a Christmas verse. A verse that gives us one of the purposes that God incarnated, that God put on flesh and came and lived among us. There was a goal. There was going to be a result of that. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. God absolutely wants that to be the experience of your life. He absolutely wants all of the strength and purpose and clarity that that comes. He wants all of that for your life. He wants that to be your experience. Jesus walked on this earth. Of course, we crucified him. He was buried. He rose again. And before he ascended into heaven, he sent his disciples out into the world. He sent you and me out into the world. He said, go. And they did. They went. And as they went, look how the enemies described them. Look up here. Next verse. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, that's not, they're not calling them stupid there. That's, that's not a bad word. Just simply saying they had no formal certification. They were uneducated, common men. They were astonished, and they recognized what? They'd been with Jesus. Can people tell that you and I have been with Jesus? When we get back to work, back to school tomorrow, when we're with friends, is, is the glow on our face? Is it clear and obvious we have clearly been, clearly live in the presence of Christ? Folks, that's what God wants for us. God is with you. What Joseph shows us is how profound it really is when we believe it and act like it. 
Now, my guess is we could do a poll in this room right now, and I, I think pretty, I, 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 maybe I'm guessing too high. I bet 90 plus percent of us would say, I know that God is with me. I believe that God is with me. And yet we'll go through a whole week and not make a single decision, not respond to anything, not handle anything in the idea that God's right now, right here with me. I mean, something, think about it. Think, look back over the last seven days. Are there any conversations you might have done a little bit differently with the idea that God's right here with you? Or is there any responses maybe would have adjusted a little if you were really thinking and acting in light of the fact that God is right here with me? Any emotions? Goodness, folks, how many emotions do we have going on right in here that say there is no God, he's absolutely not in control, and he clearly could not care less about me? We have a lot of emotions going on in here that say that. Did I stop once and say, wait a minute, God is with me? Well, yeah, but that's hard. Well, the simplicity of Joseph. God said it, I believe it. God said it, I'm going to obey it. God's in control of everything. I'm I'm going to live like it. It's just that simple. Not easy, but just that simple. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I thank you. That you want to be with me. That you want to be with each of us. I thank you that when we lay hold of the hand of our Savior, Jesus Christ, you make a promise to us. I will never leave you or forsake you. I thank you there's nothing I need to do to get you to go with me tomorrow to what I have to do. But Lord, when I go to do what I have to do, may I go with you. Lord, help me to think how much, help all of us to think how much as we walk through this week, how much the idea that you're with me is affecting our lives. How much your presence is guiding and shaping every conversation, every response, every decision. How much your presence is is shaping our fears, our worries. How much your presence is shaping our opportunities and our excitement. Oh God, that it could be said of each one of us. You can tell the Lord is with them. I want that to be true of me, Lord. I want others to be able to see that. In my home, at work, school, everywhere I go. May it be true of every one of us. I thank you for the life of Joseph that displays some things I can do so that I can enjoy and so that I can show the world God is with me. What a blessing. I want it to be so, Lord. I want to show the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.